Hello everyone. Firstly, let me introduce you to today's interviewee, Mr. Mike Boddington. By training, he is a British agricultural economist who set up an international consultancy working in rural development issues. Whilst working in Cambodia, he discovered the issues of landmines and that the scourge of landmines afflicted many countries. He established an NGO called Power International to help rehabilitate landmine and other UXO victims. This brought him to Laos in 1994. All right, so hello Mike and thank you for being here with us today. To begin with, could you tell us the situation in Laos regarding UXOs when you arrived in the country? Yes, um, I came here first in 1994 and at that time there had been very, very little clearance. So when I arrived here, by strange coincidence, at the same time, a British clearance organization arrived here um, called the Mines Advisory Group. And they set up a program here to do clearance work. And that was the first, you might say, official clearance program in the whole of Laos. And the Mines Advisory Group set up in Xinquang and... Um, started undertaking clearance in Xinquan. You have to understand that the extent of contamination here was beyond belief because something like one third of the land was contaminated with unexploded ordnance, most particularly cluster submunitions. And uh, we have this estimate that's been going around for a long time now that there were 80 million cluster submunitions left unexploded after the war. I mean, that, if you try and get your head around that figure of 80 million, uh, I mean, it, it's almost meaningless. It's just so big. It's like sort of the distance between here and the moon or something like that. I mean, it's just beyond belief the number of, of unexploded devices left here. So somebody goes into a field and clears 200. Uh, I mean, it's neither here nor there clearing something of that nature. So very, very little clearance had been done, was being done in 1994. Okay, I see. And in which way did the presence of these Uxos affect the people directly and their lands? Well, a lot of people had left the land uh, in the more heavily contaminated areas, uh, particularly, again, Xinquang. We go back to Xinquang a lot uh, because we know rather more about it and um, when, the, when the bombing ended, people thought, right, well, we'll go back to, to the land. And, you know, you think, right, that's it, the bombing's over, we can go back because we're not going to get explosives rain down on our heads anymore. But when you get back there, you find your fields covered with uh, these little cricket ball-sized bombies. And um, farmers... Many farmers decided in the in the mid 1970s that they needed to eat and they needed to plant rice and they needed to grow crops, so they just had to go back and risk it. Now, if you look at the figures for how many people were affected in in the late 60s, 68, 1968, we had the highest level of people blown up by unexploded devices, and that was around 5,000 in one year. Oh, wow. Um, and then it, it fell 
rapidly after that, and I guess because people, uh, either people left the land or they became much more cautious. So in the last, in the early years of the 1970s, mid-years of the 1970s, the level came down through 1,500 a year and so on to about 1,000 a year. And then it stayed about like that for quite some time. And then, again, it, it settled down until by the end of the 90s, it was around about 350 people affected by UXO accidents uh, every year. And when I say affected, they may be killed or they may be injured. Um, so like one a day, more or less. And um, so people, people had to go back to the land because they needed to, to grow crops. And uh, when people like Mines Advisory Group and other clearance people first came in, if they went out to a village to do clearance work in a village, very often the village workers, the village population, people, farmers, would take them and say, look at this, and, and they'd take them to a place where there was a pile of bombies beside a field. And, and they had collected these bombies off the field and just moved them very gently and carefully and put them on the side of the field so that they could get on and do their plowing and so on. And, uh, I mean, obviously some people got blown up during the course of doing that. But um, for, the, for the purposes of the clearance people, obviously it was helpful to find, find the unexploded devices in a, in a pile. And, and sometimes there'd be not just hundreds, but thousands in these piles. It, I mean, it was astonishing. It was, it was really astonishing. So it did affect them. But on the other hand, because you farm to eat and you eat to live, and either you just jolly well get on with it or you die. And not just you who dies, but your family dies as well. So they had to go and they had to find a way of working with the UXO initially. All right. Well, thank you so much. And so more precisely, in terms of agriculture, in which way did the agricultural practices get affected most? Well, originally, these devices were on the surface of the land. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, when I talk about these devices, I'm talking about cluster submunitions. You know, in Laos, we have recorded over 180 different types of munitions. And they all of them affect the land in different ways. So if somebody drops a bomb and it doesn't explode, it penetrates the soil. You think about this. There is a thing that's got a sharp end on it, and, it, and it, let's say it comes down from, say, 7,000 meters, 20,000 feet. It's traveling quite rapidly by the time it hits the ground. If it doesn't go bang when it hits the ground, it goes in a long way. What happens with everything that these cluster submunitions that were left lying around on the surface when, when they would drop. Uh, if you haven't removed them or cultivated that surface or whatever, they begin to sink into the soil. And that's because plants grow up around them and then die and cover them over. And now things that were on the surface might well be 15 centimeters below the surface. Uh, in the in the 50 years that's passed since since those things were dropped, so these are all different circumstances in in the way in which you have to set about these projects of uh, clearing clearing the mines. Um, in what way did agriculture get 
uh, you have to be very careful when you when you set about ploughing land if you haven't ploughed this before. And even if you have, and if you see one and you look at it and you say, oh, is that going to explode? There is no way of telling one that will explode from one that won't explode from the outside. All right, yes, I understand. And so how would you say that this affected people's livelihood and the rural development in those communities? Um, I think that there's probably very little information about this, Saskia. I, I hold a particular point of view. Have you ever come across something called the Socioeconomic Atlas of Laos? Yes, I have. Okay, well, here it is. This is produced by Swiss Development. Okay. Corporate. And it was for the first one, this is the one that I've got, was produced in, uh, in 2008, I think. One of the things that they have in here is a map showing the most poverty-afflicted provinces. Not provinces, but districts. Okay. This shows the closer you get to the Vietnamese border, likely it is that people are in poverty. And the closer you get to the Vietnamese border, the more likely the land is contaminated with UXO. So this is a very common thing when you hear people talking about Laos. They say, um, as a result of the UXO contamination, people live in poverty. That is very interesting. And with that said, would you say that the right to food and to development has been violated? I mean, what happened was a crime, Saskia. Uh, that a peoples were being were being bombed by a foreign nation to the most egregious extent I mean, horrific what happened here absolutely horrific but um, i mean now 50 years on obviously we do still have accidents and when an accident occurs it is horrific and it is comprehensively wrong that those devices should be there and should still be causing an accident i mean very often the people who are being born, blown up here today are children. They might be 10 years old or something. And their grandfathers were not born when the war was being fought, you know, and they're suffering today. Well, this for me just comprehensively indicates the crazy stupidity and immorality of war. So rights have been violated, but I mean, as, as you just say, that the right to food is, is not nowadays greatly afflicted. Okay, and as you mentioned children before, um, in terms of education, did the presence of UXOs hinder children from remote villages to access their schools? Um, well, I know what you mean. I mean, you, you, sometimes you see films of children taking little winding paths to the countryside to get to school. And uh, people saying, this, this land is hugely contaminated with unexploded devices and so on. And that does happen, that does happen. Uh, I mean, I attended in 2008, uh, I, I attended a demonstration in Xinguang province of a clearance exercise that was being carried out this was uh, at a conference that we held in Xinquang province in the lead-up to the, UAC, the um, Clusters Munition Ban Treaty. It was a regional conference we held here, and we took people out and showed them. And we had a field 
paddy field in which uh, 249 Leicester submunitions were found. And we, we blew all those up. Some important person pushed the plunger and bang, 249 explosions. That was, that paddy field was right next door to a school. And that school had just been built. Now, of course, it had to be the case that it's, that one organization or another went in there beforehand and cleared the whole of that area from of bombings. But one of the priorities has been here since the end of the conflict to go to schools and clear the schoolyards of bombies. And people, those schoolyards, the schools have been there for a long time. And those schoolyards have been contaminated since the conflict. And, and they still are until people go in and clear them. I mean, obviously, that's had to be a major priority, but yeah. Um, and a friend of mine, Ong Sabat. Yes. Ong Sabat, he was on his way. He went to school with a friend of his to look at the, his exam results. On, it was his 16th birthday. And he was coming back from the school with his friend back to his home. And his friend found this device beside the road, a round ball. And he picked it up. And the thing is, because they were in Hin Herb district in Vientiane province, which is not a heavily bombed province at all, there'd been no awareness work done there. And Pong Sabat said, oh, let me see that. And he took it and he could see this seam around the middle. And he thought, oh, I can unscrew that. And he started to do that when it exploded. And he lost both of his hands and his eyesight. So there is a story about going to school, countering a, a UXO. Indeed, and as a matter of fact, tune in soon as he is one of our next guests on the podcast, where he will be able to tell us more in detail about his story. Yeah, and I mean, Pong's about this, I mean, this is something I still can't get my mind around, that this young man of 16, uh, I mean, he, he was then, uh, like, 65 years younger than I am now. And the idea that I might have had to live 65 years of my life without either my eyesight or my hands, I mean, I just cannot consider what that must be like for anybody. Just, just terrible. All right, I see. Well, thank you so much. And now to our final question, um, from your personal point of view, do you think it is realistic to say that one day Lao PDR will be completely free from UXOs? Ah. <laughs> well, I mean, there are a lot of things we don't know, Saskia. Uh, we, we don't know. I mean, somebody has said once, oh, in a hundred years, these will all be, all be dead because of sort of shelf life or whatever. Uh, well, we don't know because they haven't been around for a hundred years hasn't happened yet. So, I mean, that might be one hope for the future that they will automatically, whatever, rot away and expire. But if, if you say, will we be able to clear them all? Well, I, I haven't done this calculation recently, but when we'd been doing clearance for 20 years, we had cleared just half a million okay. bombies. UXO cluster submunitions, half a million in 20 years. Now, if you think that there are 80 million out there, you divide 80 million by half a million, you get 160. 
and you multiply by 20, you get 3,200 years. I mean, so to all intents and purposes, uh, no, I mean, you know, you and I and anybody that we can conceivably think of succeeding us will never see that happening. 